0: And how how accessible <laughs> is the medication going to be? If you get sick it. Probably not. I oh. don't All right. Well, let's. Uh, <clears throat> we've already got the one announcement out that was that we didn't clean it? the church. Shh, we We were supposed to clean the church yesterday. Right. <laughs> Mom's the word. Well, we could just run and empty <laughs> the trash in the bathroom. Well, I mean, we said cool. we should just cancel class and, and clean for the next hour. While they in class, get the vacuum out. <laughs> So anyway, that's okay. Uh, let me, just, just to, uh, you guys put this on your calendar. Next one is the 19th of February. 19th of February, that weekend. We will redeem ourselves. Yes, we will. Um, so just a couple of other things uh, to note here. Um, oh, that's the same day as the discipleship training. Okay. Well, the discipleship luncheon and training. Yeah, so. The night before. do it before. Yeah, so. I'd rather do it before than after. Yeah. So that would be Saturday. Would be well, is the nineteenth a Saturday? Yeah. We could do it. Saturday, so. We'd have to do it Friday the eighteenth. Oh. Friday is the eighteenth. That oh, That's February. Yes, February. So we could do that. Yeah, that'll, that'll work. Just make a note. Keep track of that. I need to put it in my phone and Everybody, create your phone out, put it in your calendar. Yep. church, um, Friday the 18th. So, uh, Brian also was still trying to look for, I think he said he needed, last night, I think he said he needed four volunteers, four more people to play volleyball to have all the teams filled that they need to have teams, that they want to have teams. I think 16. I'm not sure how many. So uh, you can still sign up today. Uh, to play volleyball if, you, if you're if you interested in that. Um, well, the discipleship thing, that's a dinner, isn't it? It's a lunch. It's a lunch. Well, I got the word dinner there, so. Well, uh, there was a debate about whether it's up. lunch, dinner, or so- supper. Well, what is it what? called? But it's you're the noon meal. And <laughs> and you're messed up. Huh? That's
1: because yeah.
0: you're Southern and you're messed up. Yeah, <laughs> that's probably true. Um, <laughs> so, 18th. Anyway, that's the, uh, yeah, so we'll clean on the 18th. And then the dinner, the discipleship training meal is the 19th on Saturday. Um, let's see what else we have on here. Um, if anybody interested in taking a class or classes for HBI, you can still sign up online for that. Uh, I don't know any de- any details at all, but Lisa Plue's father passed away over the yes. week in, in the last few days. I don't know anything about it. I don't know what he passed away from or anything. Just be in prayer for the, their he, family. He had Alzheimer's dementia. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So he'd been he'd been it's kind of not he'd been in nursing home for quite some time. Had yeah. he been? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So, since we're talking about meal time as well, dinner. There's a lunch after the service today. A, uh, a 20th anniversary um, today for the church. Now, what's that? Shenanigans. No. No. shenanigans. No. shenanigans. Yeah, Shenanigans There oh, could be shenanigans. Well, don't pay any attention. So. I asked Brian exactly because I wasn't exactly clear what is the anniversary of, and it's actually the first Sunday meeting as a as a church, not as a Bible study. Mm-hmm. So this is this was to celebrate that, and I took a picture. Just so I show my phone now, but I took a picture of that uh, charter membership list. So the grants were charter um, Mark Newland. Uh, the that Filers. Was, really, uh, Mark, or just Mark? It just said Mark. Huh. Uh, the Filers, uh, the Lemlers, um, the Vulcans. Um, the uh, Hatmans, the Hatmans, down. Down Hatmans are on yeah. there. Yeah. So. And uh, he did reach out to them and invite them. He thinks they may be coming. Oh, okay. oh uh, and the Walt and Betty Condiff. Yeah, Walt and Betty Condiff were, yes. So yeah. there's there's. 30, 40 forty-something names on there as it the started the church. Wow, that's pretty cool. So the vision conference is about the time. So there was a so they had a service and then they had a commissioning. Uh, Brian was was ordained. The church was commissioned in April and sent from Kansas City Baptist Temple here. So that was in April. I'll probably have a vision conference in April. Uh, so anyway, so that's I always got those the tastes kind of confused anyway. But that's what we're celebrating, so um, if you could help tear down the chairs after service or, or clear out far enough to let the church, let somebody else set up all the chairs. We'll be putting tables in there in the auditorium to have the meal. And um, uh, I think it's after the service, or after everything is done, before everybody decides to sneak out, Brian would like to have the whole church in front of, in front of the auditorium to have a picture taken. Of everybody that's here, anyway. So just keep that in mind. And um, I don't have the date, so um, but there's a uh, Doug Carriger, who is one of our missionaries that we support. He's uh, with Wounded Spirits Ministries, and uh, he's going to be here. I just don't remember the weekend right now. But it's in the bulletin. I don't have a bulletin, but it should be in the bulletin. And you can sign up for that. It's like a three to four hour training and a meal, and then that's done. It's a Saturday. So you can sign up for that if you're interested in that. If you want to be a part of the PTSD ministry, helping counsel people, that's a good place to start. You can talk to Mark Lockwood about it. Um, uh, he's, he's heading that ministry up, and uh, so anyways, that's what's going on with that. And um, so we're gonna have we're gonna pray. So um, over we're gonna start in Psalm chapter one. So <coughs> we're gonna read Psalm chapter one. And we're gonna pray verses one to six. Uh, but I just want to remind everybody, I I, I don't have a, an update. I'm a little disconnected because of my vacation time. But um, the pray for uh, Wayne you do you feel anything about going that we could mentioned he's doing he's doing where he can um, get around with, he's got one of those roller walker things mm-hmm. he can sit at the table and eat now awesome. he's um, still not sleeping last I heard all night long And then uh, Bob uh, Bob and Sharon Bolkin to pray for, uh, Desiree, and then Bob Fine's family. And I need to kind of disconnect everybody if I got an update from anybody. Um, I haven't asked, so just kind of keep them in prayer. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord, thank you for your son Jesus Christ. Thank you for this passage that reminds us, Lord, of the contrast between the blessed man and the and uh, the ungodly. And we pray, Father, that our, our life would always be a life that reflects um, walking, uh, not in the counsel of the ungodly, but uh, delighting in the in your law and delighting in your word and meditating on it day and night. Help us to do that, Father, especially as we begin this new year, uh, Lord, uh, um <clears throat> 2022 and and uh, Lord, we all, every one of us, need to uh, concentrate and and con- make a commitment, Lord, to you that we will meditate on your word day and night, that we would be like a, a, a tree planted by the rivers of water. And we just ask for your help in that, Lord. We do pray for those that are on our prayer list, Lord, especially for Gwen Arnie, Bob and Sharon Bolkin, uh, Desiree, uh, and Bob Klein's family, Lord, and just lift them all up to you. Just ask for your 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 grace and mercy to be in their life; they may know the Lord that you are present with them at all times. We just ask for your blessing on them in Jesus' name. I pray. Or we just pray that our delight would be in the Lord. understand we should meditate on it and that's, that's where our focus should be <clears throat> Father to conclu- conclude in prayer we do ask Lord that you help us to meditate on the passage that we're studying today in 2nd Corinthians we ask for your wisdom your guidance, Your help, Lord, that we might get, grow in the grace and knowledge of Your Word, and we just pray, Father, for Your Your uh, Your Spirit to always uh, teach us things that we don't know, guide us and direct us into into service to You. We pray for those that are on our hearless that we didn't even have a chance to mention, Lord. There's so many names. We pray for those that are on the mission field, Lord, that are serving You. We pray for this church, Lord, as we celebrate 20 years of of laboring uh, to bring you know, your light to this community. <clears throat> we ask, Father, that you would speak to us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, okay, so in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, that's where we're at today. Um, so it's been a few weeks, you know, um, with the holidays and then taking a, actually a pretty... Well, we had been talking about going on vacation for a long time, and it was like, okay, let's leave tomorrow. And next thing I know, that's what we did. Maybe not that fast, but it seemed like it was pretty quick. I um, appreciate Lance stepping in at the last minute. I know that uh, he probably, like, uh, I wish I hadn't answered my text. <laughs> I do appreciate it, Lance. And any, everybody that steps in, I do appreciate and you guys doing that? It uh, really is a blessing to have men that we can um, uh, call on that will step up and do that. Okay, so like I said, it's been three weeks uh, since the last time we were in Second Corinthians. Uh, that was back on the nineteenth of December before Christmas. Uh, so we, um, so we're just as a reminder and kind of kind of a, a review of this this letter. Um, I think it's fair to say, and I hope you kind of feel the same way that Paul loved the church at Corinth. Uh, I think I, we could say that Paul loved every church that he planted. All the churches, he, he loved them all. But this one was dear to him in a way that uh, is kind of unique. Uh, we've already gone through all of this. We won't go back and rehash it. Although you know, he wrote what we believe to be at least four letters. Two we have in the, in the Bible, and two we don't have. But we have reference to those other two. Um, and uh, we know that he traveled there. We know he sent Titus there. He sent Timothy there. He, he did a lot for this church. And, uh, and, and, and so I can say that he, he, did, he loved this church. Um, he planted it on his second missionary journey. And uh, uh, while they were uh, under spiritual siege from false teachers, he's been trying to get them disconnected from that influence. That's really what this letter is about, especially in this chapter. Um, it's really one of the most personal letters... That Paul writes. He writes from the heart, he writes from his soul. He's offering grace and peace from God and Christ to this to the this church. Uh, it's a letter that teaches by example rather than law. So, what can we get out of this letter? What should we be getting out of this letter? It's really how to walk as a Christian. And that's why I titled this the study uh, Be Transparent. Uh, something that we all should want to be. We want to be transparent in all cases, especially when we're, when we're in, in front of the lost, or in front of people who are away from God, who are disconnected from God for one reason or another, that we, we are transparent enough that they see God in through us. And so I think it's a good example in this letter. It teaches by example rather than... In, it's not just a letter on doctrine. It's not like the book of Ephesians, where Paul, in, when he wrote Ephesians, he wrote the, if church, the, the letter to the Ephesians and basically laid out the church doctrine in that book. Uh, and uh, and so that's not what this book is about. This is more, um, uh, it, it's an illustrative application of doctrine, I would say. That's not so much the doctrine, but the application of doctrine. Uh, it's a, it gives us a clear picture of what real Christian living ought to look like. Because, in fact, in this chapter here, Paul is going to, okay, let's do some comparison here. That's what this chapter is about, as was the rest of the chapter. We did look at the first five verses a few weeks ago. Uh, so this letter helps us and, and it helps the body of Christ be transparent. Uh, the letter starts with comfort. If you remember that we, Paul talked about the comfort that's in Christ in the first couple of chapters. Um, we explored our attitude. We looked at uh, eight or nine, that came I think it was nine total, uh, attitudes of a, of a Christian. We studied about forgiveness. We talked about open doors. How do we find and seek and go through open doors? How to deliver a valid message to the world? We talked about those kind of things. And we've learned what ministry is about, including the glory of ministry, the endurance of ministry, and how to abound in ministry. Basically, how to labor and how to protect the ministry. Those are all tasks that we're responsible for. Every one of us is responsible for doing those kind of things. And so then we looked and we took a deep dive into giving. He' had three or four weeks on giving. So starting in chapter 10 through chapter 12 uh, this is kind of where we've been now for the last couple of weeks and where we'll be going forward over the next couple of weeks. Paul begins to address a very serious leadership issue with this church. He directs his comments this time straight uh, at the face straight at the false teachers that have done damaged the church's relationship with him. These people have come in, and mess up the relationship that Paul had with his church. They damaged that, and Paul says, "Okay, we got to deal with this now." And so, he wrote a, <clears throat> he wrote everything he wrote, chapters one to nine, taking care of a few things, and he kept referencing these these people, false false apostles, false teachers, Judaizers, and so on. And uh, now he's going to deal with them directly, and uh, he directs his comments straight at the face at the false teachers. In chapter ten, he called them out for their destructive leadership, because they turned the hearts, mind, and action of the church. And now, in chapter eleven, he calls out their false teaching and damage—such deceitful lies, having caused, been caused by false teaching. And he no longer ignores it. You know, he's kind of like, okay, yeah, we know about those people over there. I just need to talk to the church for a bit. Now he's going to basically go after these these men. <clears throat> he no longer ignores them. He comes face to face with wisdom. He brings them face-to-face with wisdom, spiritual maturity, and right doctrine addressing their error, correcting their foolishness to bring the church back into the truth and of righteousness. And he doesn't just write to these foolish men. Instead, he uses their own words to teach the church what good doctrine looks like and how powerful it is. So just as a quick reminder, chapter 10, because 10, 11, and 12 uh, all kind of tie together. We talked about six leadership principles. I'm not going to, well, I'll read, I'll, I'll give you those principles real quick. How to balance being base and being bold. That was one principle we got out of here. Paul said, um, I'd rather be base, but I can be bold if I need to. So there's a balance that us Christians need to understand, and we talked about that at length. Uh, we also talked, uh, got out of chapter 10 about understanding spiritual warfare. What does spiritual warfare look like? And understanding um, that uh, you. That what you are inside is more important is the most important thing for the gospel. What you are inside helps propel the gospel. And then we need to talk. We talked about understanding authority. What authority is? And uh, you probably many of you probably know probably familiar with uh, uh, Watchman Nee's book called Spiritual Authority. It's a great book. If you've never read that, I would encourage you to read it. It's fairly fairly big. You know, not so much page wise. Um, Some people read fast, I don't, that would take me a a year to read that. Um, But anyway, uh, that's a good book to read about authority, understanding serving under authority and possessing authority, and we talked a little bit about that. And we talked about keeping your word, your integrity is vital to the ministry, and then doing your own work. So those are some of the things that we talked about in chapter 10. Then we got into chapter 11, and Paul's giving us guidance in becoming better teachers of truth. And he helps us to live out the truth in our ministries, which will raise the maturity level of the church all the way around. You know, some churches are never mature enough. We probably could say that about HBF. We're never actually as mature as we need to be, as God would like for us to be. So how do we raise that up? That's kind of part of what chapter 11 is about. The church had been listening to false teachers and Judaizers. And just as a picture and reminder, Luke wrote in Acts chapter 17... Verse thirteen and fourteen. He said, "But when the Jews of Thessalonica had knowledge that the word of God was preached of Paul at Berea, they came thither also and stirred up the people. And then immediately the brethren sent Paul away to go as it were to the sea, but Silas and Timothy above there still. So that's the top, that's the same thing that was happening that's happening now in Corinth was happening in Thessalonica when the Jews had knowledge that Paul had preached the word of God there. They came and what they do." They stirred the people up. And I think it's interesting. I, I, so I just made this comment that most people are stirred up only by what they listen to. You know, you can't get stirred up by stuff that you're not listening to. You don't pay attention to it. You're not gonna, it's not going to stir you up. So the people in Thessalonica, unfortunately, and in Corinth in a, in a greater degree, were being stirred up by these people that had come in and started teaching false stuff. And they're like, oh, that's pretty interesting. Let me listen to that. And then they get stirred up over it. You know, it's the same thing that happened in politics today. You li- what you listen to what stirs you up. Mm-hmm. What and every I mean it's just the way it is. What what you listen to stirs you up. So these false teachers and these Judaizers were convincing the church. What they were what were they convincing the church? Basically, was that Paul was a fool. That's that was the, that was the heart of their attack. Paul was a fool. That he was unable to speak well, that he had no authority, and when he's not worth listening to. So, you know, that that is the typical attack. You know, I'm going to, my, 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 uh, what's the word I would use? My counterpart, no, my, my, uh, I don't want to take it into a, pol- a political uh, realm, but uh, my counterpart over here has a different opinion. He's just a fool. That's basically what they were doing with Paul. So, um. Starting in chapter 11, Paul starts out by telling them to, look what he says in verse 1. I know we already looked at verses 1 to 5 already, but um, he said, Would to God you would bear with me a little of my folly, and indeed bear with me. So he says, basically in verse 1, he says, Okay, if if I'm a fool, well then here here church, put up with my foolishness, and bear with me in my folly. Just, okay, you think I'm a fool? All right, well give me the opportunity to speak. From a fool's position, that's the position he's taking. Oh, you think I'm a fool? Okay, well let me say this as a fool. That's what that's what he's doing. And in verses two to four, he said, "Put up with me for a moment, because first, first he was jealous over them. Second, he was he had a concern for who they were espoused to. Third, he feared that they were being tricked. And fourth, he feared for their mind. And fifth, he was warning of who to avoid." Wanting those, to avoid those false teachers. That was kind of what we looked at in the first five verses last time we were together. But then we're going to start in... I want to go to verse 12 before we really start to take this, this chapter apart. Because I think that verse 12, I would think is re- what I would call the heart of this chapter and maybe even the heart of the book. If you wanted a key, cha- key chapter, key verse, this is what I would say it is. In verse 12 it says, Paul said, But what I do... That I will do, and that, that I may cut off occasion from them which desire occasion, that wherein they glory, they may be found even as we. What is we? Well, he, what, what he, they're, they're saying he's a fool. Paul's saying, I, I, want, I want to show you, they're fools too. That's the point. And, uh, and so uh, I think what he does, what he's saying here, I don't do things that I do for my own glory. But he wants to stop those others, the false teachers, who will glory in themselves. And his intention is to expose their lack of integrity by demonstrating his integrity that accomplishes what he says in verses 30 to 31. If you go down to 30 and 31, now look what he says there. He says, if I, if I need to glory, if I, if I must needs glory, I will glory of the things which concern mine infirmities. The God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which is blessed forever, knoweth that I lie not. What, he, what, he, what Paul could, was concerned about wasn't about whether he was considered a fool by anybody. What he wanted was that he would be recognized by the God and Father of Jesus Christ knowing that he is not lying. That's what Paul wanted. He wanted the church, he wanted the fools, those false teachers to know he's not lying about the things that he's been teaching the church okay so let's go back to verse, verse uh, six and seven. I want you to consider Paul's speech because that's what he's asking the church to do but though I be rude in speech yet not in knowledge but we have been thoroughly i we have been thoroughly made manifest among you in all things have I committed an offense in abasing myself ye might be exalted that ye might be exalted because I have preached to you the gospel of God freely okay so Considering Paul's speech, he says his speech, Paul even admits, okay, my speech is kind of rude. It's a little bit rude, a little bit rough, uh, but my knowledge is sharp and right on. That's kind of what he's saying in these two verses here. He calls himself out, and he declares, yes, I am not the greatest orator, uh, but I know what I speak of, and I know it well. That's what he's saying. Hey, okay, I'm not the greatest speaker. I don't tickle the ear that you want to be tickled. But everything I say, I know what I'm talking about. That's kind of where he's coming from at the beginning of this in verses six and seven. The word rude it means he is unskilled in crafting words, and he doesn't use three dollar words, but he this is just his opinion because generally people write how they speak. you ever think about that? you pretty much I mean I do I write how I speak um, and we know that Paul's did the same thing. Paul's writings were were very powerful. Just in the last chapter, in chapter ten, verse ten, it says, "For for his letters, say they are weighty and powerful." That was the description that they had of Paul's writing. His his words, written word, was weighty and it was powerful. Jesus Christ had no fear of his ability to speak, but yet he said in first. Uh, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 17, For Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach. Jesus was not concerned about how Paul spoke. What well, Jesus did, he needed Paul to go and preach the gospel. And that's what he did. Not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ be of none effect. So go and preach. And so his words are actually, Paul's words are actually from the Holy Spirit. First Corinthians chapter two verse thirteen it says, "Which things also we speak not in the words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Ghost teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual." So consider Paul's speech. Yeah, it's rude. It's a little bit rough. It's not the greatest. He's not the greatest order. He he stumbles over his words. He, you know, people say, "Well, we'll get to This point, next point here, in just a minute. In verse seven, he points out. Verse seven, he points out. I have preached to you the gospel of God freely. So, Paul wants to be clear that those false teachers, they're not offended at Paul. They're offended at the message that he preaches. And that's really the heart of the issue. In a referral back to chapter 10, verse 1, he spoke of the differences between being base and bold. We talked about that as a reminder just a few minutes ago. He says again, I'm humble that you learn the gospel. I'm humble that you learn the gospel. Now we should know that rude speech does not reflect badly on the gospel. You may not be the greatest orator, but every single person that's a as a Christian can orate the gospel. Everybody. Why? Because you have a testimony. If nothing else, share your testimony. You may not be the greatest speaker, but you can share the gospel. You do not need to be a great orator to share. I know some people say, oh, I can never witness, oh, I can never preach, or I can never do a devotion, oh, I can never I can never do a Bible study, I can never disciple somebody because I don't know how to talk. You just talked, so don't. Yes, you can talk. You, you, you've got the knowledge that you need and share with share with other people. Anybody with the knowledge of the gospel can share it with boldness and in truth. So verse 7 is a link to verses 8 and 9 where he points out that the gospel is freely given. Look, 8 and 9. I robbed other churches, taking wages of them to do, your, to do your service. And when I was present with you and wanted, I was chargeable to no man for that which was lacking in me to brethren which came from Macedonia and supplied. And in all things I have kept myself from being burdensome unto you, so will I keep myself. So we do not charge anybody. I mean, there's some people that come into church for the first time and they think that the plate's passed around because you're paying for the message you just heard, you know there are people out there that think that way. Wow. But no, you're not paying. You're not paying for the message because um, it's so in, it's so valuable that you, nobody could pay for it anyway. That's why that's why it's free. We don't charge anybody. Um, Paul he talks about the same type of thing in the church again back at Thessalon, Thessalonica, chapter two, verses six and nine. Nor of men sought with glory, neither of you, nor yet of others, when we might have been burdensome as the apostles of Christ. And verse 9 says, For ye remember, brethren, our labor and travail, for labouring night and day, because we would not be chargeable unto any of you. We preached unto you the gospel. So I got to think about it as I was working this out. So why, why do we give the gospel freely? Why are we tasked with giving the gospel freely? And I think the idea of giving the gospel freely follows the pattern of something that, that, that's just an awesome thing. God gave the subject of the gospel freely to the world. What is the subject of the gospel? Jesus Christ, yeah. the Son of God. God gave the Son of God freely to the world. And, of course, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 10, verse 8, He said, freely you have received, freely give. So we, we're giving the gospel out freely simply because it was given to you freely. You didn't have to pay for the gospel. You didn't have to buy the gospel. You didn't have to do anything but accept the gospel because it was a free gift. And so we give the gospel. That's why, um, you know, I mean, we, we always, in the Bible ministry, the Bible publishing ministry, we always seek to have somebody help cover the cost. But we don't sell the Bibles for profit. We don't, we're not trying to make money. We're not a Bible publishing house where we're just trying to make money. We're trying to freely give the Word of God out. Somebody has to pay for it in the back end, but when we give it, the people that we give it to, we don't charge them. If they want to help us cover the cost, praise the Lord. If they don't, and we've had times where we've given Bibles, lots of Bibles, and not had a, not had a way to cover them. So this church covers them because we give the Word free to people that needed, that wanted. Okay, so in verses 8 to 12, Paul said, Paul had already read that, 8 and 9, but Paul is basically saying, I'm not seeking your support. Let's read uh, verses uh, 10 and 11 and 12. As the truth of Christ is in me, no man shall stop me of this boasting in the regions of Achaia. Wherefore, because I love you not, God knoweth, that's a sarcastic statement, but because I love you not, what do you think, because I don't love you, nothing should happen? But what I do, that will I do, that I may cut off occasion from them which desire occasion, that wherein they glory, they may be found even as we. So he's not seeking their support. In verse eight, Paul wants to take the accusation away by reminding them I haven't taken any money from you. I, I haven't I haven't had you do anything in my knee to cover my knees, cover my support. In fact, Paul is very clear uh, in this, and he's reminded of what, what happened in Acts chapter 20, verse 32, what he said, Acts twenty thirty-three: I have coveted no man's silver or gold or apparel. He's not, out, he's not after the money. That is in direct comparison to the false teachers who were looking to make profit off this church. And then that kind of brings us down to verse 13 to 15, where we, we need to meet the enemy, the true and deceitful enemy. Verse 13 to 15. For such are false apostles, the people that uh, he's just referred to, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ. And no marvel, for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers also transform as the ministers of righteousness whose end shall be according to their works. Okay, so in verse 13, Paul calls out these false apostles. He calls them a pretender, a forger, con men. They're deceitful workers. They're crafty, they're corrupt, they're hurtful, they're without honor. Titus says, he said to Titus in chapter 1, verse 10, For there are many unruly and vain talkers and deceivers, especially they of the circumcision. So even within the the Jewish uh, tradition, that's who they are of the circumcision. They're deceivers. They also transform themselves into the apostles of Christ. And eventually essentially, they're counterfeiters. That's what he's actually referring to. Talking when he's talking about them being trans- transformed, they're counterfeiting themselves. Um, they're counterfeiters, they're counterfeiters of the office and counterfeiters of the word of truth. And it's interesting the word transformation. Cause you're probably familiar with another verse that's uh, that has talked about the word transform. Anybody know what that might be? The most probably the mo- most common one people would think of Romans 12.1 Romans 12. Romans 12, yeah. Be be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. Okay, so there's two there's two different transforms in the Bible. There's this one in verse 13, 14, and fifteen. Three times is mentioned here. That word transform there it means to change one's appearance. To change your appearance. The word in transform in Romans chapter 12 verse 1 it means to be changed into a new creature and the difference is the word transform in Romans chapter 12 is actually the Greek word metamorphosis and anybody familiar with the word metamorphosis it basically means to change like when a, uh, a, a caterpillar morphs into a butterfly completely changed its creature what it is the Bible says for all of us that we're old that when new creatures, old, old creatures passed away, behold, all things become new. So that's, that would be that concept of transforming. But what Paul is doing is he's connecting these false apostles with the master of disguise in verse 14. In verse 14 he references, and no marvel for Satan, he doesn't reference, he just calls him out. Satan is a, himself is transformed into an angel of light. So in verse fourteen, he connects these guys to Satan, and in verse fifteen, he calls these false apostles his Satan's ministers. So they just work, they work for the devil; they don't work for God. That's what he's he's making a very bold and direct statement here. They are they are working for the, the, the devil, and so it's interesting because of Satan and his men, his 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 followers. Satan transforms his ways in three different ways. He transforms his appearance into three different appearances. You're probably all familiar. Genesis chapter 3, verse... Well, in all of Genesis 3, what is he in in Genesis 3? He's a serpent, right? He transforms himself as a serpent. Why? Because he wants to present himself as as a... uh, Well, he presents himself as a liar in order to deceive and destroy... By his persuading us that the God that God's word is false. So persuading is your blank your blank there. he, he becomes a serpent to persuade us that the word of God is false. Yea, hath God said. No, that's not really what he said. Come on, Eve, you know he didn't say that. He's 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 twisting us. But Peter, Peter says in first Peter chapter five verse eight that Satan is a lion, walking about seeking whom he may devour. So what is he, why does he sometimes present himself as a lion? Because he presents his passion filled with hate towards man while always seeking whom he can destroy and, and devour. So he comes as a lion sometimes because he hates you. So he comes as a serpent to deceive you. He comes as a lion because he hates you. And then in verse 14 of this passage here, he comes as an angel of light. And why did he come as an angel of light? Because he wants to show his position as an angelic being. He basically is. He wants you to know, I'm an angel too. You listen to angels. I'm an angel. And I have that spiritual ability. I'm an angel. He comes in that position as an angelic being because he wants to show you the power to destroy, with 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 wind or fire or financial destruction. It's really interesting, I went back and looked at Job chapter 1, and I've never really known, noticed this before, but in Job chapter 1, I'm not going to take the time to, well, let's just go back there real quick, I'll point out a few things. Now, he becomes an angel, and he transforms himself into an angel, he goes up to heaven, find a verse verse 6. Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord and Satan came as among them. He came up as an angel, an angelic being there. He didn't present himself to God as a lion. That would have really been a bad thing to him to do. He didn't present himself as a serpent. Uh, He would have had his head crushed right away. He came as an angelic being. But it's really interesting if you continue reading this and I don't have them all picked out here uh, but you know that conversation that Satan has with with God. Hey, have you considered my my servant Job and he said, well, you know, you, you've got a hedge around him. I can't touch him. He said, okay, I'll take the hedge off. And I never really realized this, but it's, it's Job. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not Job. It's, it's, uh, it's Satan that destroys his crops, that destroys his family, that destroys everything he has, his entire possession, uh, by, by wind, by uh, um, an enemy coming in. Verse 15, the Sabians fell upon him and took them away. Um, verse 16 while he was yet speaking there came another saying the fire of God has fallen from heaven and has burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them verse 17 while he was yet speaking there came another the Chaldeans made out three bands and fell upon the camels and carried them away and then the us verse 18 um, 19. 19 and behold there came a great wind and I got to thinking about that You know, whenever something bad happens in people's lives, who do they blame? They always blame God. Satan, Satan is the one that brings the wind and the fire and the damage. He does all that only because he has the ability to do that. And so he's wreaking havoc to try to get you to say, it's God's fault. And if you can say it's God's fault, then you will start hating God. And if you can hate God, then, then... Satan has accomplished everything he needs to accomplish. And it's a shame that that happens. Just some things I was thinking about as I'm looking through this passage here. But anyway, because we know how he will come at us as a serpent, as a lion, or as an angel. Because we know how he will come with us. We know how to defend against his attacks. Because just knowing we wrestle against spiritual wickedness in high places isn't enough. You don't. Oh, we wrestle against spiritual wickedness in high places. Okay. Well, how do you actually wrestle? How do you wrestle? And so Paul is saying we are. We know how to do that. Uh, we wrestle against spiritual wickedness. We must. We have to know the strategies. We have to know that it's lying. We have to know uh, that he hates us. We have to know that he's deceiving us in his appearance. And we can face that. You know what? The church. And I think I got it in there. I'm going to go ahead and mention it now for the sake of time. But the church had failed to do what the Bereans did. Remember the Bereans? I think it was Acts chapter 17. Um, let me look at my notes here. i mentioned it later on. No, I don't remember where I mentioned it. Anyway, Acts chapter 17. Let's just flip over there real quick. Verse 11, verse 10 and 11. And the brethren immediately sent Paul and Silas by night unto Berea, who, coming thither, went into the synagogue of the Jews. These were more noble than those of Thessalonica, in that they received the word with all readiness of mind, and searched the scripture daily, whether these things were so. That is your biggest defense from the attack of the, tri- the transforming Satan and his followers is you need to compare the Word of God. You need to search out the truth in the Word of God. In the church at Corinth, they weren't doing that. They were just they were just letting their ear be tickled uh, by this falseness. And so, anyway, uh, verses 16 to 19, Paul, Paul's record now speaks of his identity. Okay, so he's saying, okay, this is who I am. Let me just tell you that. Chapter 10 reminds us not to compare ourselves with ourselves. You hear Brian say that a lot. We shouldn't compare ourselves with ourselves. And that's a true statement. And Paul doesn't want to do that either. 2 Corinthians ten twelve says, For we dare not make ourselves of number or compare ourselves with some that commend themselves, but they measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves are not wise. Yet, in the next several verses, really almost to the end of the chapter, Paul is going to compare himself with others. He doesn't want to, but he has to. It's time, it's time now to, to, to make this comparison. Paul must do exactly what he doesn't want to do, which is to compare himself. He must compare himself with the others in order to stake out the truth. And he says in verse 18, Others have boasted, meaning they have gloried in themselves, and I will boast also. That's what the word boasting means. I'm going to, I'm going to boast of these things. So verse 16 to 18. I'm going to get back to 2 Corinthians. I say again let no man think me a fool if otherwise yet as a fool receive me so don't think of me as a fool but if you need to go ahead and receive me as a fool that I may boast myself a little that which I speak I speak it, it not after the lord but as it were foolishly in this confidence of boasting it's interesting he said no this is not from the lord this is from me but I wanted everybody to know it's in the word of god so it's it's of god and it is of god because it's in the scripture it's just, but, but Paul is saying, this is from me. Um, I speak and not from the, after the Lord, but as it were, foolishly in this confidence of boasting. Verse 18, seeing that many glory after the flesh, I will glory also. He knows he doesn't need, he, this is not the way he wants to go, but this, this is where the conversation has finally gone. Verse 19, for you suffer fools gladly, seeing ye yourselves are wise, for ye suffer if a man bring you into bondage. If a man devour you, if a man take of you, if a man exalt himself, if a man smite you on the face, you'll you you wouldn't put up with any of that stuff he's saying. But you're going to put up with people being foolish. It's okay, put up with me then. Verse twenty one. I speak as concerning reproach, as though we had been weak, howbeit wherein whosoever that's a big word, wherein whosoever any is bold, I speak foolishly. I am bold also. So, okay, so he's validating his ministry. He's about to lay them down and say, okay, let's do some comparison. Let's compare apples to apples here. So, in verses 22 to 23, he basically asks the question, does their background, the church, or their heritage equal his? And Paul compares the Judaizers to himself. Remember, he says in verse 22, are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So, so am I. Are they the seed of Abraham? Well, so am I. Are they the ministers of Christ? I, parentheses, I speak as a fool. I am more in labors, more abundant in stripes, above measure in prisons, more frequent in death often. And he goes on and lists that whole list. So basically the first thing he says is, does their background or their heritage match mine? I come, I have a, I have, I'm, I'm a Hebrew I come from i come from Abraham. I'm a—I'm an Israelite. I come from Jacob. I am a follower of Christ. I'm a born-again believer. All of these things. Can they say that? You know, sometimes, you say, well, who are you? where did you come from? That's why we sometimes we want to know. Well, where did you get your training? Where did you? Who taught you? Who discipled you? Did you? Have you been discipled? Who have you discipled? We ask those questions because we want to know your heritage. And in verse 23 to 25. He's now saying, can they validate their ministry? So his suffering proves he's a follower of Christ. He lists eight forms of suffering there, starting in the middle of verse 23 down to 25. He lists eight forms of suffering Uh, in his years of ministry. These false teachers, they have suffered not at all. In 2 Timothy 3.12, he says, Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Have they suffered? That's the challenge. That's the comparison he's making. Have they suffered for their ministry? I have. Listen, just listen to some of the things. Okay, let's read all the way down to 25. I'll start in the middle of 23. In labors more abundant, in stripes above measure, in prisons more frequent, in deaths oft, of the Jews five times received I forty stripes, save one. Thrice was I beaten with rods, once was I stoned, thrice I suffered shipwreck, a night and a day have I, I have been in the deep. And you know, so he'll change a little bit in verse 26 and i'll point that out here in just a minute so eight sufferings and so um paul says are they have they suffered i suffered you know why i suffered because i'm preaching the truth and then in verse 26 he lists eight perils so first there's eight forms of suffering and then there's eight perils that he that he faced um, and so 26 in journey is often in perils of waters and Perils of robbers, and perils by mine own countrymen, and perils by the heathen, and perils in the city, and perils in the wilderness, and perils in the sea, and perils among the false brethren, and weariness. And then he changes again in verse twenty-seven. So here he lists these things that he's listing; these perils. What they, what he's doing is he's confirming his spiritual stamina. He's confirming his spiritual stamina. First, he's asking them, uh, can. The, do they, is their ministry validated in their suffering? Now he's saying, is their ministry validated in their spiritual stamina? Are they, are they wavering uh, when something bad happens? You know, sometimes we see that um, in uh, in churches and in, in leadership and in the body of Christ, where they just they 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 can't handle it. They just give up. They don't want to suffer. They don't want to suffer, so they leave. In verse twenty-seven. In weariness and painfulness, and watchings often in hunger and thirst, and fastings often in cold and nakedness. So, in verse 27, there's hardship suffered as a prisoner, as a pioneer missionary. So, this is an interesting thing. So, Paul is saying, Look, in my ministry, I, I endured all of these things. It was weary, it was painful, and watchings, and often hunger and thirst, and fastings, and cold and nakedness, all this stuff, because I was a pioneer missionary. When I went, I went out. I went to places that nobody had ever been to preach the gospel that nobody had ever heard, and it was harder. What have they done? What what kind of hard hardness have they endured? And in verses twenty-eight and twenty-nine, here there are the sufferings of just caring for the churches. He says, "Beside those things, all of that stuff from twenty-three to twenty-seven. Beside those things." That are without, that which cometh upon me daily, the care of all the churches. Who is weak and I am not weak? Who is offended and I burn not? If I must needs glory, I will glory of the things which concern mine infirmities. The God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which is blessed forever, knoweth that I lie not. See where Paul's taking all this, He's saying, Okay, you, you you think you think I'm a fool, okay. Let me come at you as a fool. But let me just tell you. You're the fool, because you've been listening to those guys, and they don't have the pedigree that I have. They don't have the experience that I have. They don't have they've never been challenged because they're teaching false doctrine. One thing that you'll never find happening, um, people won't challenge. They, they, in a church that's teaching false doctrine, they'll just, they'll just take it, because they're not Berean enough to challenge what's, what's being said. I remember when I first started going to church, and pastors all the time, pre- preachers from the pulpit would always say, "Check me out. Don't just take what my words. Don't take my word for it. Study it out. Find out am I telling the truth?" And I did. And then I unfortunately found out some things that weren't. that ain't quite right. At least that's not how I see it. Um, and you know, you see where things lead eventually. But the point is, uh, Paul says. I'm a fool, okay, fine. let me be a fool for just a minute, but let's compare categories. Let's compare uh my resume to their resume, and who's really got your best interests at heart? Who cares for you more, me or them i I am willing to die for you. in fact, when we get to chapter twelve, we'll talk more about that. I'm willing to die for you, are they that's that's the that's the point there. okay, so let's wrap this thing up because we're almost we're almost done. He finishes up verses 30 to 33. Um, he ends his boasting. In verse 30, he says, If I must needs glory, I will glory the things which concern mine infirmities. Um, so he kind of ends his boasting. He wraps up this foolish boasting because he, he did not want to have to do this. He only did it because he was being driven to it. Um, so he, well, he ends up his boasting. He wraps up his foolish boasting with the ultimate boast that God the Father knows the truth of who He is and what He is doing. Can God... Will will God stand for these foolish men that have come in and wrecked the church? Will God stand for them? Because He'll stand for me. Will God stand for you? That you want God to stand for you. You know, Jesus Christ is the uh, advocate, or advocate. Is that the right word? Advocate? Why? Because... You are who he claims you are. He, he are, you are who he, you are who you claim you are because, and he he testifies of that, uh, and so uh, that's what we want. But he does one last boast, verses thirty two and thirty three. He says, just so, just let me just one more time. We'll just, I, in Damascus. The governor under Arateus, er, 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 the king, kept us in the city of Damascus of the Damascus scenes with a garrison, desirous to apprehend me. And through a window and a basket was I let down by the wall and escaped his hands. The point that he brings out there is this. is this. The Romans wanted to stop him too. The Romans wanted to stop him. Why? Because they, he was impacting the Roman culture. Okay, so the point of all of this is that we saw in Second Timothy that those who live godly and follow in following Christ will follow him in suffering too. And Paul is substantiating that. The fruit of your ministry is, you know, we always say, what's the fruit of your ministry? I don't, I don't see any fruit in your ministry. Uh, be careful with that. That's that's kind of a hard challenge because we we kind of always lump that, we, we bring that in and say, there's no fruit, they're not leading people to Christ. And that's the only fruit we can compare. Sometimes the suffering that they go through is fruit enough. Yeah. And that's where kind of Paul was at too, is look at my fruit. The fruit of your ministry is evidence of your ministry. That doesn't mean that you win the loss. It means your life is demonstrating the life of Christ. And you're validated, not as a fool, but as a follower. Okay, so we'll stop here. Um, Next week, we'll get to chapter 12. We'll kind of wrap up this passage, this whole section here. um, And we'll talk about uh, a little bit more of Paul's proof of his ministry. Again, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 5. But watch thou in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, make full proof of your ministry. So that's kind of where he's at. He had to to make full proof of it. It wasn't just enough that he wrote them letters and he started the church and he kept coming and he kept sending people to help them. You know, Sometimes you've got to make full proof of your ministry. Paul had the approval of God. God. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. He had the approval of the Godhead when he was made a minister, making him able to declare to the Colossians. He said to the Colossian church, Whereof I am made a minister... According to the dispensation of God, which is given to me for you to fulfill the word of God, so he's he's just he, over and over and over again he's substantiating his ministry because God substantiated his ministry so that's that's what we should seek after for ourselves is God substantiating my ministry if if he is you'll know if he's not you'll also know if you just just spend some time with God and then you know maybe you need to tweak a few things maybe you need to make some changes maybe you need to to um, change the way you're involved or get involved or something. Anyway, let's pray and we'll be done. Father in heaven, Lord, thank you for this passage. Thank you for the, the example that Paul gave us here, Lord. Sometimes comparing ourselves with ourselves or amongst ourselves is, is, is necessary. It's not pretty. It's not, it's not a humbling thing. Um, but if we approach it, as Paul did, uh, as a fool, then uh, and we'll profit from that. We'll benefit from that. We do pray, Father, for the The church today, Lord, that uh, everything that is said in the main service is uh, impacting people's lives, those that are online uh, as well, Lord. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for the gift of eternal life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Everybody, goodbye. Thanks for hanging out with us today. Love you guys. Bye-bye.